I'm Al Filris, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound archive, writing.upenn.edu slash pensound. Today I'm joined here in Philadelphia at the Kelly Writers House in our Arts Cafe by Patty McCarthy, poet and educator who has published many books of poems, including Quiet Book, Mary Bones, Table Alphabetical of Hard Words, and most recently, With Thing, Apogee Press 2021, who teaches at Temple University, has been honored as a Pew Fellow in the Arts as a longtime Philadelphian, and by Kate Colby, poet and essayist, who has published seven books of poems, including The Arrangements and I Mean, among others, and a book of lyric essays, Dream of the Trenches, who has served on the board of the Gloucester Writer Center in Massachusetts, has been teaching in the Library Arts Department at Brown University, was a creative fellow at Harvard's Woodbury Poetry Room, and is a TA for ModPo, the open online course hosted here at the Writer's House. And by Lily Applebaum, creator and host of many events, projects, gallery shows, and symposia, here at the Kelly Writers House, including recently a public panel discussion, which you can find on YouTube, called the recording of which you can find on YouTube, called Securing Food Insecurity, Tony Hicks of People's Kitchen, and whose poems have appeared in Apiary and Elsewhere, who merges interests in poetry and poetics, environmental science, and social media, and who has helped co-convene that wide-open online course on modern contemporary poetry, the aforementioned Modpo and Lily's involvement goes back now 10 years, who is the coordinator of the Writers' House Fellows Program and the annual series of online book discussion groups, and is a beloved longtime member of the Writers' House community. Lily, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me, Al. I'm excited. I see you every day, but it's been a while <laughs> since we got together on Poem Talk. Is yeah. it possible that the last one we did was that that crazy session on Emily Dick, a couple of Emily Dickinson poems that was so good. Yes, yeah. Um, I think it was two different Emily Dickinson poems. Yeah, and very different in yeah. spirit and tone. Well, thanks for joining us again. Kate Colby, you got on the train in Providence and you ended up in Philly. I Give us a thrilled to be here. A reckoning. Providence, Philadelphia, Providence, Philadelphia. Oh, no, I won't do that on record. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the record, okay. But anyway, it's great that you're in Philly. Glad you could be here. Come a lot. Come often. Yes, please. Okay, great. Patty McCarthy, because of COVID, it's been a long time since I've seen you in person, but it's great to see you. It's excellent to be here. And uh, normally I see you, right, much more often. Yeah. But we haven't events. seen each other because of COVID in a long time. Yeah. And congratulations on With Thing. Thank you. It's a book that I'm holding up, but it means nothing on an audio podcast that I'm <laughs> holding it up. But it's just a lovely book. I love the shape of it. It's almost square. It's almost square. It's really, it's really amazing. Congratulations on Thank that. Thank you so much. Well, today we four have gathered here to talk about a poem by Stephen Collis that appeared in his book, A History of the Theories of Rain, published by Talon Books in Vancouver in 2021. The poem is titled, Yes, I Do Want to Punch, or perhaps 
yes, I do want to punch fascists in the face, if you include the second line. Our recording of Collis performing the poem comes from a video he made just for Poem Talk, and it is available on his Pence Out page. So here now is Stephen Collis reading, Yes, I do want to punch fascists in the face. Yes, I do want to punch fascists in the face. But first it's the orange-crowned warbler, the Nashville and Virginia's warblers, Lucy's blue-winged, red-faced warblers, and the yellow warbler. I thought they were all yellow warblers, prothonotory and magnolia warblers, black-throated blue, green, and gray warblers, Grace's warbler, Wilson's warbler, the Blackburnian, cerulean, pine palm, and prairie warblers. Bay-breasted, black pole, red start, Louisiana, and worm-eating warblers. Morning Kentucky and hooded, olive rufous-capped warblers. Saying or singing, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be destroyed. So give me the light of stars that strives to but can't quite reach us, the one whose eyes are struck by the beam of darkness, the wings blinding forms, beating, piercing all songs, singing fragile light spiraling from every wood and window. The time now is for pirates and possibly warblers. Landward forms only amuse for a moment. Walls jockey for nations to enclose, oceans to swamp all our canoes at once. The crying out of streets and forests I join and give me water for spit, Phyllis Webb wrote. Then give me a face. Lily, um, you just can't help read this poem and think, wow, it pivots so quickly away from this alluring title, which, you know, anyone on the left, pretty much, you don't have to be an avid anti-fascist to sometimes feel like it would be really good to punch a fascist in the face. Mm. So it's very alluring, I guess, and you can sort of confirm or deny that. Mm. But then, but first comes right away. Can you tell us about that pivot? Yeah, there's so there's an ongoing conversation that the poem seems to be participating in because he starts the title, Yes, I Do, kind of implying um, that it's some question of whether or not it's appropriate or that he might want to. And then the pivot is... Um, but first, meaning something's, something else is going on that's occupying his mind and attention. Um, so it's not denying the, the aggression of that title. It's like very much owning that, but also saying there's something else here that you, that's competing for attention with that. Thanks, Lily. Kate, Kate it's not, uh, but first is not saying, it's not an equivalence necessarily, even though we, what Lily just suggested is right, and we, ha we can have a politics that's anti-fascist and aggressively anti-fascist. We can also be worried about the warblers. But but first doesn't say and. It says but first. There's a priority. The, the ecological disaster ahead seems to be a priority. How do, you, how do you deal with the but first? Well, I think we're situated at or around Trump's inauguration, I believe, is when that viral video of the Nazi puncher, so to speak. Yeah, do you want to, was in the can world. we accumulate a reference? I mean, uh, uh, we probably all looked it up. I certainly saw it at the time. Does anybody want to describe um, what it was? I don't remember the name of the recipient of the punch, but it was an Antifa protester, I believe, who... Who punched a pretty well-known... Alt-right. Alt-right. Um, 
and speaker, well. a speaker, a sort of a well-known person. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Lily, who has a phone, will look this up for us. I love when Poem Talk just improvises like this. So it was that, at you know, that point that the Wikipedia. politics kind of exploded around Trump. And here that, um, but first, he returns us to the, the minute specificity of, of the problems at hand not the distractions of the internet and the rhetoric and the media, but the actual stakes, which are these mm -hmm. tiny tremulous birds. Mm. Patty, I keep thinking about the difference between, and I'm, I'm going to use air quotes for these two political categories, but the radical or radical anti-fascist on the political spectrum leaning from center to left, and the liberal who has second thoughts about that violence, who really doesn't want to punch people in the face, because that's kind of fascist, actually. It's kind of like participating in the, you know, there's an argument to be made about that. And yet, and then, uh, worried about, worrying about the warblers, being a birder, or being someone who knows about the warblers and the, what's happening, the migration or whatever, s seems to get figured as an alternative to that counter-violence which makes it slightly less radical, perhaps, but we all know that the environmental disaster, if we can intervene in it, it's a more radical solution than punching someone in the face. So can, can you read the politics of this? Um, I mean, I think the but first is super interesting, right? Because it implies to me that there's this other matter that needs to be handled. And I think, you know, the title... Yes, I do want to punch fascists in the face, including then the, the first line there. I, you know, I mean, I read it as definitely referring to that very viral video, which then got, you know, remixed with all this dance music and stuff behind it, which is what I remember most about it, right? Which is not just the punch, but all the sort of musical um, remixes of it. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to me that this, the, you know, the speaker says, I thought they were all yellow warblers. But then there's this like catalog, this kind of list poem of all these different kinds of warblers. And so like, it's not just but first the warblers, but also but first I or we have to educate ourselves about the diversity of them. And, and we have to know that it's not just yellow warblers, that there's all these other kinds. But then of course, but first, by the end of the poem, we come back to a face and spit, you know, as well. And so it's not as though that punching a fascist in the face completely disappears, because to me, it resurfaces at the end with those quotations from, from Phyllis Webb, right? At least possibly, right, that gesture comes back. Um, I so agree with what Patty's <laughs> saying. And I think, like, it's important to remember that this um, could be referring to not just the act of the protester punching Richard Spencer, who was the Richard Spencer, um, of course. Nazi, or sorry, whoops. Um, uh, Could the you just call him a Nazi and say, oops? <laughs> Alt-right commentator who was punched on camera during a protest at uh, Trump's 2016 inauguration. Um, then there became a huge online discourse about whether it was okay or not, and um, do we endorse this kind of violence? And it, it just went for so long online. So I sort of wonder if lines like... Um, it's all going to be destroyed might po point us to um, the poet saying, I'm just a little tired of the discourse that gets so like wrapped up in the online 
world that doesn't look at the outside world like at all. Um, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit refusing to participate in the constant back and forth. And I want to look at the birds that are migrating in my yard. Interesting. So their, their diversity of species diversity gets figured in a ideological slash anti-ideological response. Like this is, this is diversity. And when we lose this diversity, we're in big trouble. So try to parse that in the left, right argument. Ha, that's pretty cool. I really like that. Kate, what are you thinking? Um, yes, I, the diversity of the birds here becomes aligned with the loss of political diversity among people. I think the birds are so bodied, they're faced, they're throated, they're breasted. Um, so I think it's not only a mournful song for these species, but also humans ideological diversity. Patty, I want to go back to Yes, I Do. Okay. Because it's been read. I think all four of us would have different readings of this. I mean, there's a lot going on there. In one, it's in media race. Like, we're in the middle of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Somebody's saying, Collis, don't you, or poet, speak, speaker of poem, don't you want to get involved in this and punch a fascist in the face? And in another way, Patty, it's... um. I really, it's protesting too much. Yes, I am going to do that. I am that radical, please. But I'm thinking other things too. There's a concern about this ornithologically sensitive poet person that he might be read as not sufficiently radical. Oh, yeah. I mean, I actually hadn't really thought about it that way. That's. <laughs> I just thought about that super... <laughs> this moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. And, um, I mean, I think if we read that as a possibility, right, whether it's protesting too much or a kind of insistence on um, being aligned in a specific way, you know, then again, sort of the end of the poem, I think, again, is interesting that, you know, if the oceans will swamp all our canoes at once, then the crying out of streets, the forest, I join and give me water for spit, right? This is a reference, I assume, it's a poetic reference to the rising seas of climate change. Yeah, I I mean, I certainly read it that way, right? But if you, for me, if I think back to the yes, I do, there's the I join and, you know, that happens at the end of the poem. So a a sort of second declaration of of a yes, I do. affiliation? Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Lily, um, saying or singing? I love that transition, but who is it that the speaker of the poem is thinking, is saying, or singing? Is it the speaker himself, mm. or is it some, or or is this movement people who do their chanting and singing? I think, you know, warblers famous for their beautiful bird sound and um, famous. I mean, I guess known to be um, like we can't ignore that very direct um, implication by putting this right after the long list of warblers. That, oh, so it's the birds who might be saying. Well, I mean, I don't, there's some kind of um, interesting porous like boundary between how the birds are like being referred to and or organizing themselves and how people are watching and responding to the world. And um, 
you know, saying or singing everything's going to be all right and then following with it's all going to be destroyed. Those are the obvious parallel like statements there. Um, I sort of think that I don't think it's an address to the birds, but I think I see the associational like move from the bird stanza to the everything's going to be all right stanza. Mm. Kate? I think the whole poem is a push and pull between saying and singing. We begin with this matter of fact, yes, I do want to punch fascists in the face and the the abstraction of climate change um, that conceals the specificity of what it is exacting from the world. And then he goes on to list these warblers and it becomes toward the end this Gerard Manley Hopkins-esque like um, language. Blackburnian, cerulean, pine palm, and prairie warblers, bay-breasted, black pole, red start. So that that to me is the singing and the poetry of of you know nature and what's being lost. Damn, Kate Colby, that's <laughs> great. Yes, Hopkins-esque. All those. Um... All those compound adjectives hyphenated, <laughs> really amazing. So, Kate, saying or singing includes both of those, the saying of the flat, prosaic political intervention of the first couple of lines and the singing of the, you know, poetic tradition taking its signals from the birds. Right, and, he, and you know, Trump, Trump is a sayer. And it comes back later to the walls, um, you know, and his constant declaration that he was going to build a wall and it never came to fruition. Um, so this singing that Collis is doing here, he's sort of positing as not an antidote, not like a functional antidote, but as, as anti-rhetorical. Patty, I am um, really moved when... I mean, the poem is either uh, satirically humorous at the beginning with its pivot and then kind of encyclopedic and magnificently show-offy in the warbler section. But then it gets very sincere. I love this. So give me the light of stars that strives but can't quite reach us. I mean, I take that literally to mean, God, I wish the sky were clear enough right now that I could see the sky stars but it's never quite or whatever what do you make of that section that does seem sincere doesn't it uh, i th- it, you know it really does and coming right after um you know saying or singing everything's going to be which has a line break a backslash and page space before we get all right it's all going to be line break, page space, backslash, destroyed. So that to me reads, uh, you know, really performatively, right? Like I'm thinking about the singing of the line before, and then I have these kind of two couplets that are written almost like a score for performance and thinking about what those lines sound like. So then to say, so give me the light of stars that strives to but can't quite reach us. Um, there's a shift in tone again there, right? Like we go, we move away from the musicality of the, of the listing, the cataloging and the, all those adjectives that Kate was reading. And then the saying or singing opening of the second stanza, 
um, and to this kind of longing for access, right? So whether they're, you know, to the light of stars that can't quite reach us, you know, this access to something natural and, and beautiful. I think, yes, I think that um, we're moving from, like, so beautifully from this really, like, um, structurally in the poem, like, this very specific list of um, names and, like, some of the names include information about the bird species, like, because of their specific names, like, what type of food they like to eat and whatever. So we're moving from this very specific to almost this, like, outward and skyward to this very collective picture of a different like a picture of resistance or a picture of futurity under disaster that is like I just find that move from the individual strengthening to a collective skyward oceanward move very very beautiful Mm. Kate what are your thoughts um I was just thinking that it's a it's an and poem. It's a call for pirates and warblers, for Nazi punchers and tiny tremulous singing birds. Um, so it's not it's not prescribing any kind of approach to mm. repairing the world, um, but it's allowing for a lot of activity and action and attention so short-term reactive responsive long-term poetic planful i add poetic because that's the diction change that's the rhetoric change but um any climate change any way to save the warblers or to protect the diversity of the warblers is not going to be solved by short-term politics obviously this is a very obvious thing to say but it's hard for a poet to say something, as poets do, complicated about something that's so obvious about the split in our political action. Patty Phyllis Webb, eminent Canadian poet, um, Vancouver-based for a long time, went to the University of British Columbia, which is where Steve Collis not only lives in Vancouver but teaches at UBC, says something pretty radical at the end there. Right. Well, I mean, those lines are from her poem Solitary Confinement. Right, and I think that that's significant since this is, you know, a poem that definitely wants to position itself as not solitary, right? And thinking about connection, um, and uh, and and even yes, I do want to punch fascists in the face. That's obviously not a solitary position to take. So it's not just the warblers and thinking about interconnectivity, right? But also. Um, those opening lines are definitely not solitary. So I was thinking about, you know, just that these lines come from a poem called Solitary Confinement and how that context, you know, might have bearing on this poem itself. But I mean, you know, give me water for spit, then give me a face. And, you know, the ambiguity of, right, is it the, is it the spitter's face, right? <laughs> or, is it, uh, or is it the spitties? You know, and the and sort of the the both the poem, the poem opens and closes with this potential action, right, to punch somebody in the face or to spit in somebody's face, and that for me, especially thinking about warblers and um, 
you know, that they're not actually that closely related. Um, they're, you know, warblers are just small and, and loud, right? Um, and just kind of thinking about how, what that says about interconnectivity and, and action, um, the opening and the closing in the poem with the faces. I love that. Thank you. Uh, um, Lily, I'm going to overread the web quote, and then okay. you can pull, pull me back from sure. this. Um, then, give me a face. There's an order of this radicalism. Mm -hmm. First, I need some water. I need to take a gulp of water so I can get a good gob. And then, I need, I need to look around for the face to spit in. Um, my overreading is then, because I think it mm. comes, it's uh, somehow connected parallel to the ordering of the radical activity mm. at the beginning of the poem. It's also wonderfully random. I have this, I'm so pissed. Give me some water and then I'm going to go around and see who I can spit <laughs> mm. at. How did I do there? I love it. Um, I, uh, the, the way that I read the word for in give me water for spit is like exchange the saliva I have in my mouth with water, like ocean water, for example, in this poem. So, like, instead of whatever, I don't know, biology, whatever it is that spit is, give me, like, the water that's around, like, in, in out in the world. Almost like the person is, um, the spitter, sorry, so gross, is, like, has become part of, has the weight of the full, like, environmental water cycle behind them and then is projecting that out. Mm. And because especially reading that together with, oceans swamping the all of the nations being enclosed by walls like there's such a strength and a power to that um angry person getting ready to spit like come for me like nothing's permanent here like the landscape is melting and changing and walls are closing in i'm gonna dissolve into the ocean and then spit it back out at you wow that was great <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the mammals, in particular Homo sapiens, are we're all water. I mean... 70% or something. 70% of us is water. So we are implicated in the sea rise because it's not only going to swamp us, but it's going to be that much easier to, to get, get a gob of water and spit at somebody. Kate? I was going to say, I also read it as, you know, I'm, I'm parched and suffering and need water to survive. Mm. The time now is for pirates and possibly warblers. Landward forms only amuse for a moment. Walls jockey for nations to enclose, oceans to swamp all our canoes at once. The crying out of streets and forests I join and give me water for spit, Phyllis Webb wrote. Then give me a face. Let's do a round of metapoetics. I think this poem, which seems likely to be read as it's a political poem that just does that Hopkins thing in the middle, which is just so attractive and alluring for readers. Um, it's likely we're not going to think of it as a meta poetic, a statement about poetics or, you know, but I think it is. I think it is. So let's all try our hand at a metapoetic reading of this. And Lily, who nodded when I said metapoetic, <laughs> I guess you're going to go first. Do you, what's metapoetic about it? Do you see anything? I think anytime singing is mentioned in a poem, we can equate that with poetic expression in writing because singing just taps into a very similar um, 
impulse, creative impulse. And so I'm seeing a, my, my sort of theory I'm working on is like the absolute decimation of all things individual and beautiful about people that fascism like necessitates. I'm going to counter that by talking about the most, by insisting on listing all of the language and the beautiful like differences and details between all of these singing birds. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm going to refuse to see them all as the same type of warbler. So good. Thank you, Lily. Patty, you're thinking about the possible metapoetic quality of this thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the choice of warblers is really interesting. And I was thinking about how when we use warble as a verb, it is an unsteady, wobbly sound, right? I mean, it, it, it implies a kind of uncertainty or unsteadiness in, in the sound. And that to repeatedly use that word, for me, um, creates something beautiful in that uncertainty in that, mm -hmm. in that, in that wobbliness. And of yeah. course, fascism is the, is the opposite of that, right? Fascism yeah. is certainty. Um, and so the, the sound of the poem, it seems to me, the sound of it itself pushes back against that kind of certainty. And that is so great. Thank you. And that is founded on a long history, certainly preceding romanticism, but the early romantics really wanted this equivalence of the if, and, and Wallace Stevens does this all the time in the 20th century, you know, I see a bird on my casement window, and that's me in the ideal, the one that's just singing or making noise, roo-coo-coo, you know, <laughs> that, that's the poet in the ideal. And so it's tapping into a long poetic history of refusal to make too much sense mm -hmm. and, to, and to do music as opposed to semanticism. Kate, metapoetic... It's about the power of naming, um, which evokes one of the actions of Black Lives Matter, say their names, um, and even goes back to Whitman, the kind of listing of everybody in the streets and moving along the sidewalks, just naming each specific being as an acknowledgement of their specificity and their, you know, their refusal to be abstracted under the, you know, the name of human being. Poets can do that. They get to use their form, strange as it is, to just memorialize or honor individual exes, people, animals. And nobody's going to say, you got to stop. You, I only need, the, the newspaper editor is going to say, I only need three examples. You gave me 15. What are you, a poet? Which leads me to my point about metapoetry. I think this does exactly what I want poetry to do, which is to do something that other writing forms, genres, and really probably most other art forms can't do, which is to start somewhere and completely go off topic right away so that the editor of the novel or essayist or essay or um, newspaper column doesn't come to you and say, you can't start by talking about punching a fascist in the face and then make the poem about something else. You can't do that. And the answer in poetry is you can, of course. Right. <laughs> you can. 
and I agree with what's been said about fascism. Um, poetry is, at least the poetry I admire, <laughs> is implicitly an anti-fascist form. It will not stick to its subject. It will not be didactic and abstract. This was the this was the direction that Kate was going on the the opposite of abstraction a minute ago. The anti-fascist form swerves. It warbles, wobbles, as you were saying, Patty. And just by doing this, and by doing what poetry does, which is to mix several conceits and just kind of flow it, thinking and language like the rising oceans, it does what it says as a form. And that is a nuanced politics to respond to the unnuanced politics. That was a fun round. Thank you all for doing a metapoetic reading. I wonder what Stephen Collis is going to say about this <laughs> poem, you know, which I think he thinks is a political intervention poem, and I hope he does. All right, well, let's, um, we could talk forever about this wonderful short piece, but let's go around for final thoughts, something you wanted to say in this conversation but hadn't had a chance say yet. Lily, do you have one? Yeah, um, I'm thinking a lot about, um, I guess something I'm grateful for about this poem is if you're a person who spends a lot of time on Twitter, the internet, as I do, like the endless sort of vortex of discourse can feel very disheartening. And what this poem kind of reminds me of is like when they tell you um, when you go swimming in the ocean and there's a rip current, like that just swim instead of getting sucked out, swim a little bit to the side of it and then see how far away from land you are. I'm sort of seeing this poem as that kind of gesture. Like, yeah, everyone's going to be arguing about if this was an okay thing to do or not. And we're going to keep getting this video remixed and recycled. I'm going to swim a little bit out and just look to the shore and, and, and just measure out where, where we're at from there. Fantastic. Thank you, Lily. Kate, final thought. I'm still thinking about abstraction and how it works in this poem and that abstraction is a fascist tactic, lumping mm. people into broad categories to be targeted or annihilated or, or changed. And here he's abstracted the fascists. Mm -hmm. All they get is that one word. And then he, you know, has granulated the qualities of these birds not just warblers, but every specific kind of warbler. So it operates against that fascist mode. Mm. You know, like, who cares about the fucking warblers? No, it's not <laughs> warblers. It's like, I could tell you about 50 of them. What do you mean? What are you saying? <laughs> Patty? So I actually really care about the fucking warblers. I, mm -hmm. it, but I, I mean, I'm still thinking about something that Kate said earlier about the power of naming um, in the poem and the specificity of, you know, not just their names that are what they, you know, look like and how they eat, but Louisiana, Kentucky, Lucy, Graces, Wilsons, these proper names, these place names that become embedded in the identity or the, the identification, I should say, of these, uh, of these animals and how um, thinking about 
language and, and naming and, and how it can be a grounding kind of specificity. So I was mm. still thinking about that based on what Kate said a little bit ago. Thank you. My final thought has to do with um, parts of three lines toward the beginning that are separated by a, a slash, a right-facing slash. I thought they were all yellow warblers. So in the midst of this catalog, which is pretty expert, he's saying, I don't know. I used to, I, I've been, I'm working on this. I'm not mm-hmm. an ornithologist. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a human being. And the climate is changing. And I think I really owe it to my reader to write a poem about all the things that I'm learning about all the warblers, including the warbler that seems to mourn Kentucky, which I don't quite understand. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. That's what you have to do. We all need to, to catalog the warblers, not just the experts. Well, we like to end poem talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for several of us, or all of us, if you're quick, to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world. And who, Patty's not sure, so I'm going to turn to Kate. Kate, do you have a recommendation? I do, and this is kind of low-hanging fruit in my world, Uh, but Rosemary Waldrop's new book, The Nick of Time, is, it's just everything that Rosemary personally has been gathering into her own paradise over so many years, and it's about time and memory and aging and loss and about the subjectivity of time, um, as opposed to and um, dovetailing with the physics of time. I just love it. Beautiful. Say the title again. The Nick of Time. Nick of Time. Fantastic. Lily, gather some paradise. I think my, I'll throw my recommendation um, to Erica Hunt's Jump the Clock because we were lucky to get a semester, uh, last semester of studying that work very, very closely. And I'm thinking of a few different of her poems collected there that actually end in a flood or discuss the sort of oncoming climate slash already here climate disaster time and history all together. And I don't know, this poem really made me think of that. So I'm going to throw it to Jump the Clock, New and Selected, Erica Hunt. Great. Well, you've just upped the game. Two really great and important poets have been mentioned. Patty, what do you have? Can you compete with that? No. Well, I'm a very slow reader, so it's not that new, but I'm reading Nikki Walsh-Lager's Water Baby, which I absolutely love. I mean, I love Nikki's work in general, but I'm just finally getting to sit down and really read um, Water Baby, which I absolutely Great. love, especially the prose poem William Carlos Williams, which I immediately sort of ran into work and taught in one of my classes. Um, but I just can't recommend the book highly enough. It's really magnificent. Three great poets. All right, I'm <laughs> going to go for a fourth. Our own Patty oh, McCarthy. No. <laughs> I'm holding a copy of this oh. marvelous book, Whiff Thing. And it's one word, and whiff sounds like wife, and indeed is. And the T on thing makes it whiffed thing almost. <laughs> but it's a, really, it's a really wonderful book published by Apogee Press. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, Patty, as if I can cede the floor of my Gathering Paradise to ask you to read one of the poems. Mm -hmm. Would you? Um, I would. Which one do you want me to read? 
I would say one of the Marjorie Kemp thing poems, the one on page 18, these are all sonnets, or at least they're 14 lines. They, they are sonnets. I think that they are. And they participate in questions of liter- literature and culture in the Middle Ages, as well as whiffery through the ages and everything else. Okay. Um, page 18 you want? Please. Marjorie Kemp thing. She cries because the sky is between them. The stars are in the way of your face, she says. Marjorie Kemp, you need to eat something. The full plate's lined up before you on the bar, and I know all about patience, a shipwreck, no virgin, inordinately loved his body. 38 years I lived with overlapped my husband, closed curves within an enclosing rectangle in which the daily crossword passed between us at breakfast. I can think of no words today where there, I cannot remember how to get from there to there. There, there now, these cryings are excessive when she sees a man hit a child or a horse. So that's one of the Marjorie Kemp Thing poems in With Thing by Patty McCarthy. Marvelous. Yes, there's snaps going around. (laughs) Well, that's all the saying or singing we have time for on Poem Talk today. Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writers' House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Patty McCarthy, Kate Colby, and Lily Applebaum, and to Poem Talk's director and engineer today, Zach Cardner, and to Poem Talk's editor, the same amazing Zach Cardner. And a shout out to Nathan and Elizabeth Light for their very generous support of Poem Talk in our next episode. Edwin Torres, Jenna Osman, and Huda Fakhradin join me to talk about colliding and not colliding a poem performance piece by Cecilia Vicuña. This is Al Filris, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Poem Talk. <laughs>